pointing out that the songs that I remember are the songs his parents remember, but that's just because he wasn't paying attention. (laughs) But how many of you know that there's a song by the birds from this chapter? Raise your hand, admit it. Okay, how many of you didn't know there was a band called the birds? (laughs) Okay, okay. But what they've basically done is taken Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and they simply put it to music. That's all they did. And it's, it's you know, to everything. And then they've added this, word, this, this phrase, turn, turn, turn. They took this verse that you could read in, oh, about 30 seconds and they turned it into a three-minute song. And uh, it, I, as far as I know, it was a number one uh, popular radio hit. For a while now, some of you have got this song going in your head, right? You're going to everything turn, turn. See, see, I know, I know you, folks. I've been in your head before. What you want to under, what I want you to understand about it is just how common it is for the for mankind to consider the impact of time. It's very common for us to consider the impact of time. When Solomon takes this next step, now you can see there's a clear break between what he'd been saying before. He starts the book out telling you about all the things, all of his exploits, right? He tells you all the things he's tried in life, and he's not laying them out there as examples. If you're 16 and you're reading this and you're saying, oh, Solomon is saying this is what I should do, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is what you shouldn't do, okay? He's saying, this was a bad idea. I made a mistake doing this. And in reflecting on his life, as he talks to us about us, he keeps coming back to that term. This was empty. This was vanity. This was a chasing after the wind. All the things I tried to fill my cup with left me empty. And therefore, he makes a strong transition here when you go into chapter 3 and he shifts to a different kind of subject. Now he's talking to us about how we might address living under the sun more effectively. Remember the book's basic premise is you can live under the sun on the planet or you can live with God. All those things under the sun are vanity. They're futile. But he now addresses life under the sun, and he does so with this opening discussion about a time for everything. To everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Ever turn to a kid or ever had a parent turn to you or an adult turn to you and say, this is not the place? You ever had that happen? It happened to me often. Um, Especially when I was younger, when I was in in school, when I was particularly as a young child. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I would often open my mouth when I probably shouldn't have. I would say things about things in places where things were not supposed to be said, but I didn't know. Because things that were known were supposed to be said. They entered entered your mind, it comes out your mouth. There was no stop between A and B, just a direct shoot. And I would often get told by adults, shh, 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 this is not the place. Or, my favorite, children are to be seen and not heard. Yeah, that, that went over really well with me. But this is, the, this is the idea behind this statement. For everything, there's a right time, and there's a right place, and there's a right purpose. There's a moment when things are appropriate, and there's a moment when things are not. 
<coughs> and whether you agree with Solomon's philosophy or not may depend on whether or not you recognize he is speaking about things that happen under the sun. Okay? Now, just to, to demonstrate to you that we have a lot of folks in angst about time, look at this picture. It was the opening slide. Now, I want you to catch this moment. Ready? Get it? But the next one. Get the, get the next one. Can you hang on to it? Where is now? It's back there. It already left us. And when you let your mind start to wonder about this, first of all, it can wander off quite a bit, but it starts to get a little angsty when you start to think about how quickly every moment seems to be passing. There's the moment, but it's gone. There's the moment, then it's gone. There's the moment, then it's gone. And imagine now Solomon, after all of his uh, victories in life, after all the things he'd seen and done, sitting at sort of that moment when he's looking back across the bridge of time and recognizing all of it's gone, all of it's left, all of it's going to be someone else's in, sh- in a shorter while than he thinks. And he's worried about time. When a bird is alive, it eats ants. When a bird is dead, ants eat it. What's the difference? Time. C.S. Lewis said, the future is something that everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour, whatever he does, whoever he is. Profound, right? Maybe not. Try this one. Time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, You can never get it back. Everybody over 50 just went, oh, man. Everybody under 21 went, and it's coming soon. Yeah. Did you see the picture that's in the background here? Famous picture. Salvador Dali, whose mind was a little twisted. He was asked, because, you know, he's back, he, he write, he's uh, famous during the 20s and 30s, and he was asked, oh, I, I see what you've done here. I get what you're trying to imply. You're trying to say time is relative. This was, this was probably influenced by Einstein's theories of relativity, right? You know what he said? He said, no. I had the image of a round of Kalimbar cheese melting in the sun. I love when people try to put too much meaning into something. Here's a picture of cheese melting in the sun with a clock face on it. That's what this really is. But why is it so famous? Because we take the metaphor of the melting away of time and we take it personally. Everyone at some point or another thinks about Time. How much do I have left? Have I wasted what I've been given? How did I spend what I had? Don't be fooled by the calendar. There are only as many days in the year as you make use of. Protestant work ethic about to hit you right between the eyes. 
One man gets only a week's value out of a year, and another man gets a full year's value out of a week. Which guy do you want to be? Told you it was coming. We all want to grab what we can. Go for the gusto. Live in the day. Catch the moment. Don't let something escape you when you have opportunity to understand it, to fill it, to feel it. Solomon tried to fill his time. He tried to fill it full. Tried to fill his life to the very edges till it was spilling over. He tried stuffing as much into life as possible. How is he doing at it so far in your reading of Ecclesiastes? To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. In the first phrase, in the first measure of the song, he says, here's the facts, folks. You will be born. And should time last, you will become daisy food. Now think about it for a sec. Is that morbid or just true? It's just true. Morbidly true. Some folks up here in the front row said it's morbidly true. Okay. It's a fact, though, and it's a fact that should, that should inform our lives. It should make us aware of what Solomon is constantly repeating in this book. Live your life. Experience your day. Don't spend your time thinking and longing for yesterday. And don't spend your time grasping after tomorrow. Be awake. Be alert. Experience your life. Live it. Live it. Live it. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Brenda and I were once in the uh, Dome of the Rock. Are you familiar with where the Dome of the Rock is? That's that building that's on the top of uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's got that golden dome. It's blue. uh, I think it's octagonal, hexagonal, do you remember? It's got a bunch of sides. We were inside the Dome of the Rock. They used to let you tour it before they got nervous about uh, what was going on there. And we, we, we went through it. We had the opportunity to go in. So you take off your shoes and you go into the building. And you, it's, a, it's a rotunda, as you might imagine. It's a, it's, it follows the shape of those outside walls. In the middle is a rock, hence the name the Dome of the Rock. And this is the rock, officially, that Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac on. It's the rock, officially, that um, was under the temple where the sacrifices were offered. It's the rock, officially. Again, I say officially because it's a rock. Nobody wrote on the rock which rock it was. So they went and found a rock in the approximate place and said, this is the rock. Okay? But the, also, the other concept is that this is the rock from which um, uh, Muhammad, being transferred, transported, according to him, from Mecca to Jerusalem ascended into the heavens on a ladder of light. So it's one of the most fought over places in the world, but it is that rock. And so you walk around the rock, and there's actually a cave under the rock. And so we walked around, we'd gone inside the cave, and we came back out, and we were walking toward the exit. And as I am very commonly found to do, I reached out, and I held Brenda's hand. And as we were walking on our way out, an Arab man with a very 
strong Arab accent in his English began to yell at us. And he, he, what he was yelling was unintelligible to me about like that last sentence. Um, he just kept yelling and he got, he started to getting, get more vehement and he started to get closer to us. And he finally, he points and uttered the words I understood finally. And he said, no touch. Well, what's wrong is I was holding Brenda's hand. I didn't know that that was forbidden within, within the Dome of the Rock, but I had broken some rules. There is a time for everything. There's a time for embracing and a time to refrain from embracing. Solomon is saying things fit where they belong in time and space with purpose. Things belong in certain places. They don't belong in other places. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. You shouldn't be celebrating in a room full of mourners and you shouldn't be mourning in a room full of celebrators. There's a time for what you should be doing. Find the right time, right place. It is the way to live under the sun. There's a place for what should be done. A time to gain, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to throw away. Most of us, it's the time to throw stuff away. If you didn't know, that's probably the time for you. Time to empty the garage. I speak to myself as well. There are times for things. Just understand simply, as you think about life, it's appropriate to do some things at some times and not other things. Right? That's all Solomon is really saying, but he's saying it in a beautiful, poetic way. Now, one of the things that people have the greatest problems with is his next set of comments here. There's a time to tear and a time to sow. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. We, as believers, say, no, there's never a time to hate. Solomon says, I don't, I don't agree with you. Under the sun, there's a time to hate. But remember, it's under the sun. He's not talking about the relationship with God. He's talking about living on the planet. This is a time for war. And do you remember how bird fin- the birds finished the song? They finished the song in a very hopeful way. A time for peace, O oh Lord. They're wishing for it. They're hoping for it. I hope. You're right. And then they get back to their season for loving. <laughs> But they, this, is a, this ends up being a, an anti-war peace song. No one knew until they got to the last, sign, last lines. A time for peace, oh, I hope. A lot of arguments with Solomon here, but if you're the, if you're the president of a, of a nation or the prime minister, there probably is a time for you to decide that there's a time for war. As a believer, we resist and we say, no, there's never a time for that. Well, we've never run a country either. What I want you to understand is he is describing how we live under the sun, on the planet, how things work. He's not trying to tell you to do anything in particular. He's trying to tell you there's a time for things you do. Get it? If you haven't heard the bird song, it's on YouTube. Time spent. Occupied. What prophet has the work, has the worker from that in which he labors? What prophet has the worker 
from that in which he labors. Now he's starting a union chant, you know, placards out in front. What profit do do we have here for our labor in this steel plant? What profit do we have from having to pick these plants and pick these vegetables? You know, he's got a protest going now. What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with, with which the sons of men are to be what? Occupied. Occupied. Do you realize that the thing that most commonly kills people when they retire is retirement? You realize that? Because retirement is not even a biblical concept. You get that, right? You stop one job, you move on to the next job. You never actually stop working altogether. There are, I believe, I believe, there are no lazy boys in heavy. If you were looking for one, I'm sorry if I burst your bubble. I don't think that was ever the intention. I think we were designed to keep moving. And when we stop moving, that's when things get bad for us. That's when things start to really be a problem for us. When we retire in our mind, when we stop being thoughtful and and, and careful about things that we feed into our head, when we retire with our bodies, when we stop that, when we stop moving, when we stop thinking, when we stop doing, that's when things get really bad for most people. So here's the thought. What profit has the work from that which he labors? I have seen the God-given. Where did they come from? The God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. I want you to hold that thought for a second. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Is this really a curse? The text says, in verse 17, Cursed is the ground for what? For what? For your sake. Now, there's two ways to translate that. There's two ways to think about that. The ground is cursed because of you. Your fault. All the rest of us are mad at you. I'm just kidding. The ground is cursed because of you. This could be the way this could could be translated, correct? You could take that inference from it. Because of your sins, the ground is a cursed thing. Would that be true? Was the ground going to produce thistles and thorns before this? No. So this is true as far as it goes. But stop to think of it the other way. The ground is cursed on your behalf. For your sake. So that I can help you. Here's my question. In toil you shall, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to the dust you shall return. By the way, Solomon will later, later quote that very phrase. But I want you to think about something. Was giving man something to do while he lived in sin on the planet a bad idea? You see, we live in a place where we know we're going to die. If this text is saying, on your behalf, the ground is cursed. If it's saying, so that you might survive on this planet, the ground is cursed. It's a completely different idea, isn't it? So I ask you, is this a curse? God said, hey, 
they're going to need something on this planet to do. They're going to need something to occupy their strength and their talents and their abilities. Let me give them something to do. Now that they have broken the system, we need to install a different system. How many of you have been forced to be home from work because of uh, I don't know, a broken limb or some sickness or something like that, and you end up being stuck at home during the day? How many of you have done that? Were you excited on the third day? We're not, are we? We all know that daytime television is a, des- a deserted planet, right? There's nothing to do in the middle of that day when you're sitting there and you can't really do anything. You don't feel well. And you so you, you turn on the TV and it's like, ah, oh, ah, ugh, off. You get a book and your head hurts and you can't really do that. And you're trying to pass the time not feeling well and you hate it. Right? So is God giving us something to do really a curse? I argue that it's not. That God giving us something to do was a blessing from the hand of God. I have cursed the land and it will be hard to work. There will be thorns and there will be thistles because of sin. But I'm putting them there for your benefit. Ever tell a child, you'll thank me for this later? Time to start owning it. The next time the weeds grow in your backyard, go grab hold of them. Put a glove on because they have thistles. Pull it out and say, thank you, God. Because without this, I wouldn't have anything to do. Oh, you doubt me, do you? (laughs) Cursed is the ground for your sake. Then he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Note the corner picture. Even thistles at the right time are beautiful. He has made everything beautiful in its time. If you feel like a thistle in the garden of God, I'm just telling you, your day is coming. Your your day is coming. Everything is beautiful in its time. If you've been the rose... In the, in the garden of God, guess what? Your time is passing. The thistle's going to bloom next. What we know for sure is that everything changes. And in its right place, things are right. I sailed through the, the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Um, I've been out uh, sailing across the Pacific for a month. And... Just coming out of the nothingness that is the Pacific, first sighting land, and then seeing the spires of the bridge kind of sticking up out of the haze that typically hangs around the Bay Area, and then seeing the bridge sort of come into full view. I have seen that bridge thousands of times, but that time it was exquisitely beautiful. Because in that moment, in that context, it represented more than eight lanes of traffic crossing over the nub of the bay. It represented home. Everything beautiful in its time, in its context, in its place. He has then planted eternity in the human heart. Here's what he's saying to us. 
everyone's watching time. Everyone recognizes time is running out because God has said, this is not all there is. That you were designed for something bigger, something better, something more significant than this. The mere fact that that question has been authored by poets is the longing of the heart who knows eternity is normal and sin and death are not. You and I have planted within us this reality. It's a reality that no one can shake. It's a reality that says there's something bigger, there's something better. God didn't just plant this like this and let it run. God didn't just wind up the clock and now it's running down. God has, in fact, planted eternity in our hearts so that we will know that our home is not here, but our home is in heaven. And it whispers out of the life and heart of every person, no matter how caustic their words, no matter how morose their attitude, deep down inside is this little voice that says, this can't be it, this can't be all there is like a melting block of cheese. That's the world we live in. But the world we live for is heaven. I know that nothing is better for us, for them, for us, than to rejoice and do good in their lives and also that every man should do what? Eat and what? Drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. Why? Because it's a gift from God. It is for us to understand that we are called to live our lives and our lives are gifted to us as something for us to engage with and connect with and love and live What will last on the earth? Only the things that God does. I know that everything God does will remain how long? Forever. There is nothing to add to it. There is nothing to take away from it. For God has so worked that men should fear Him. He wants us to be in awe of Him. He wants us to recognize He is God and we are not. And in that proper relationship, we can deal with what comes to us. We can deal with the temporary nature of our current lives because our eternity is secure when placed in the hand of God. It is only secure when placed in the hand of God. Solomon had tried everything and seen everything and done everything, and now he recognized everything I've done is vanity. Everything I've done is chasing after the wind. Everything I've tried to thrust into my life is unsatisfying. Only the things of God lasts forever. Only the things of God truly mean anything. Only the things of God and only my life in His hand has a chance at eternity. We are stuck between two worldviews. On the one hand, the world says, go for the gusto. Grab the brass ring. Get all you can before someone else gets it. And God says, all of that, it'll be fun for a while. But at the end of it, 
only what we do together will last forever. Solomon says, there's a time for everything. There's a season for every purpose under heaven. And before you leave here today, if you have not settled this eternal question with God, this is the time. If you've been putting it off and saying, oh, it's not the right time for me to follow God. It's not the right time for me to surrender to God. It would cost me too much to do that. I'm telling you today, it will cost you too much to wait. This is the thing. This is the final deciding factor. These are the things that really last forever. When you put your life in the hand of God, there's an eternity there. When you put your life in anything else, it's vanity. It's a vapor. It's like chasing the wind. You'll never catch it. You'll never be satisfied by it or with it. But when you throw your life into the hand of God and you serve Him, the things you do and the people you impact have eternal, forever impacts. There's a conflict out there. I know it's thrown at us every single day. Every commercial that plays on your radio, every commercial that plays on your TV, half of the conversations at the water cooler at at the office are about gathering stuff in. Remember, there's a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to let go of some stuff. There's a time to get a a smaller house, not a bigger house. There's a time to have less land, not more land. And the time for you and I to make up our minds that whatever those things are, we will follow God into those things is now. Don't waste another day between these two decisions. Only the things that God does will last forever. Make your choice. Make it today. The time for this thing is right now. Let's pray. Father and our God, we've been wandering along through a man's private public journal. And we hear the wisdom of his heart. And we recognize the significance of living our lives. Of committing ourselves to be present in our own day. Of enjoying what you lay in front of us. The labor that we are blessed with. The food we take in. The things we drink. The people around us. But Father, let us not even do that without first recognizing it comes from you. Lord, I pray for the person who's in the valley of decision today who's trying to decide whether or not they should follow you. Lord, as we pray together, I just invite you into that person's heart. on their behalf, with their consent, that you would take over and do things that will last forever. That you will cleanse them with the blood of Christ, cover them with your grace, take them in your hand and lead them on. Lord, some of us have been chasing a dream. Some of us caught it and we're kind of bored with it. Help us to recognize that the longing in our heart is the eternity you planted there. 
and the dream we really are looking for has your face in it. Some of us are just starting down the road toward that dream, and Lord, I ask that you would help us to put these things in proper context. To recognize the good things you've given us as good things. To enjoy them, to embrace them, to recognize and be blessed by them. But to understand that the longing of our heart is never going to be filled by them. Only by you. Lord, we give to you our open hands, releasing the things that they normally hold and trusting that you have our eternity securely planted in yours. Thank you for the good things, the great things we've been blessed with. Our wives, our husbands, our children, our families, our homes, our vehicles. So much for so few. Thank you for letting us be graced with those things. Help us keep the content and the context straight. Help us to remember the eternity that we're really searching for. Lead us by your grace. Transform our hearts and minds. Teach us to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. The last thing Solomon says is really tough to translate in the Hebrew. But it says, God seeks after things that keep passing by. He's chasing us because he knows. He knows us and what we need. God bless you today. I hope you'll stay by for one of our discipleship classes. Children's classes are down the hall to my right, except for the youngest children. They're straight back in the back of the building. Adult classes are primarily in this part of the building, although in the back left.